Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before we begin, this podcast is possible by our sponsor at Ambire. The Ambire wallet is one of the top products in crypto asset management. It is the first open source, non-custodial smart wallet that delivers exceptional user experience combined with solid security. With Ambire wallet, users can easily navigate the world of Web3. It comes packed with features like built-in swaps, cross-chain bridges, integrated earning opportunities, and more. In addition, Ambire offers things like human-readable transaction parsing, eliminating ERC-20 approvals and front-running protection. The smart wallet uses gas abstractions that allow for unique features like paying for gas with stable coins. Users can batch multiple transactions to save time and gas fees. The wallet also supports NFTs and allows you to connect to any dApp via Wallet Connect. You can use it with an email and password or add hardware wallets or hot wallets as signers to upgrade your security. And the best part? Ambire speaks human. The UI is friendly and informative, ensuring you understand what you're doing and eliminating risks for mistakes. Ambire wallet users are currently eligible for continuous wallet token rewards. To learn more and get your Ambire account today, visit www.ambire.com. That is A-M-B-I-R-E.com. So today we have with us Nadav Zemmer. Nadav, or Principal Z, as most refer to him as, is a software engineer from his early days, an educator, a public high school principal, actually freshly former high school principal, writer, Web3 researcher, thought leader, founder, and the list goes on. He's the author of the book called Education in the Digital Age, How We Get There, where he offers an evaluation of how digital technology and economics are poised to transform education by examining the concept of academic capital. He dives into the re-engineering of high school credits and using blockchain technology for the credits ledger system, all topics that we will try to cover today. So Principal Z does not just work at the intersection of technology and education, but is truly aiming to revolutionize the way education is carried out, also with the help of his project hs.credit. He is first tackling later years in public high school, primarily in the US, but hopefully with time beyond borders as well. So with that, Nadav, welcome to the show. I've really been looking forward to this podcast. Nina, so have I. I've got to say, I've been on a lot of podcasts and the way um, just you've engaged so far and how much you know about the project, it's, um, this is an incredible podcast and I've gone back and listened to your, to your stream. Um, it's really an honor to be here. Well, thank you. Thanks for that. You have so many inspiring roles and this topic is actually also very close to my heart. Can you first, I know you do this with every podcast, but can you first take us through your background and path to where you are today? Yeah. And I wouldn't expect your listeners necessarily to have heard that uh, whole library like you have that whole catalog. So it, it is helpful. Uh, so I am, uh, you know, I grew up in the Waldorf schools. I'll go all the way back there because I don't usually in other podcasts. Um, and so that's Rudolf Steiner, you know, education, really old. And I spent some time learning, studying in France. Um, in university and uh, did the international baccalaureate program. So I was always kind of comparing educational models, I guess. I didn't realize this until later in my life. And then I became a software engineer out of college and started a um, company with some friends about decentralizing a radio production. At the time, it was CD magazines, and we didn't have the word podcasting yet, but it was really podcasting. Um, and, and I grew up in a recording studio. My, my stepdad is a recording engineer. So the podcasting thing, I'm also had trouble reading, I, um, I think, I, would, I don't know if it's dyslexia, I don't know what it is, but I've never been able to read very well. So the audio format um, really spoke to me. And so we um, started that. I ended up being a high school physics teacher by 2003 and a robotics coach ran a robotics program. And I brought that audio podcasting technology into my classroom and started to see some really magical results with the kids when they use a microphone because uh, an illiterate student sometimes would be the most thoughtful in their questions and the best listeners right and so they would be the superstars and they they would say nobody's ever told me i'm a you know i, I because i can't read and i ha can't have access to the test nobody ever told me i was smart 
Um, so I started to see amazing things and continued serving the most at-risk population. So kids that were kicked out of other schools um, became a high school principal and turned around a failing school. School that was actually already scheduled to be replaced. Mm-hmm. And we did so well in 18 months that they that they had to keep us open. Um, and, and the experience was magical at that place. Anybody that walked into that school felt this magic that was there because kids armed with microphones and cameras are really inspiring. Um, and so that, that brings me now. I'm um, out of one school and we've experienced expanded the mission to uh, schools across the country with an app called HS Credit that you mentioned. Um, and yeah, we'll talk more about that. I'm just curious, you mentioned, uh, so this is over, this is almost 20 years ago that you're a robotics yeah. teacher. Um, do you have students from back then contact you or are you in touch with anyone or do you, do you follow them with the way you've been teaching? And also when you said that you turned around the, the New York City school, um, do you have contact with, with any of, or do you get feedback from later on? Are you following any of these people? Oh yeah, everybody. I mean, two, so two of the members of the high school credit team are retired administrators like myself and part of that network of, uh, administrators that I worked with, um, and that we had, uh, very similar values. Um, and then in terms of students, I live in, I live right next door to the school. Um, so I see the kids all the time. We grew up in there growing up. We're in the same community. I'm also a foster parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, you know, my, my daughter's here, my family. So we're connected to the community. We stay in touch. I'm terrible at remembering people's names. So it's really hard walking through the community and seeing everybody. Um, and, and right. So I see, so some of them I keep in closer touch with one of them, uh, became a engineer, um, a very successful engineer. And I was a manager and he's actually, uh, runs the development team for high school credit. Um, and so he was one of my former students, um, from, you know, He's now in his 30s, so however that works out, <laughs> and he's tremendous. Um, and so, yeah, and, and the robotics guys, we were a really tight team. There was a documentary made about us, and we, yeah, we have a WhatsApp group and um, keep in touch. Yeah, so it's, um, in New York City is such a little village in some ways, especially in the education community. You know, my neighbors here are assistant principals, like the education community is all around us. Um, and it's really what I love about being in Harlem as I walk out into the street and know, you know, my daughter knows everybody. I know everybody, you know, it's a really nice village feeling. It's amazing. Um, well, my next question, and it's, it's, it's also a question that you've answered several times. <laughs> um, so when and how did you realize that the importance of decentralization in education and actually with what we're going to talk about today, merging it with blockchain technology. I actually had this question about the aha moment. And then I, I just <laughs> recently uh, was listening to another podcast and I was like, oh, they stole my question, but it's, it's not an <laughs> one, but if you could share with us. But I'll answer it differently on this podcast than any other, because you're going to go deeper and we're going to have, you know, we're not racing through it. So, okay. um, you know, it's funny. It's the opposite is actually what's more present for me and the answer is when did I notice the oppression of the centralized system? And that's from the first day as a teacher, right? Um, it's the, and everybody admits it and we all know it and we all see it happening. Um, the tests are, you know, it, it's testing, teaching to test education is just how the brain learns. It's not stuff you remember. It's not meaningful learning. It's, you know, it's what AI does for us, that standardized thinking. And so the kids know it's not really of value to them and everybody is like caught in this machine and even you know all the way up to the superintendents i never met a person in the department of education in the city of new york who was bad or malintentioned and yet the system is absolutely uh, does violence on us all teachers especially mm-hmm. so that's the context that's the soup i'm swimming in right it, when when bitcoin is invented in 2009 i was never interested in the economic and financial part mm-hmm. um what i was interested in i and i didn't believe open source would work. I didn't think Linux, you know, I was, a, I studied software engineering in school um, with my physics degree and, um, and, and I worked in the in computer labs and I didn't think, you know, you, Linux would be where it is today. I, I, I would have bet anything against that. And so when that started happening, it opened my eyes and said, you know, kind of my heart even too, you know, like, wow, maybe something's possible here with this digital stuff that it won't just be Facebook and um, what we're seeing in the centralized. And so that, you know, that opens the door and I had a busy time, but, you know, I'd adopted my first daughter. We bought a house and started a new school and, you know, all these things were happening. So I didn't have a lot of time to keep up with the technology. Um, but it was there on the periphery. And then Bitcoin in particular um, was kind of shocking to me that it was surviving. Oh, you know, just didn't die. It kept not dying. And then by 2017, um, I had uh, took a sabbatical, lived in Japan and had some time to catch up um, with technology uh, in a way that I hadn't in a few years and uh, immediately 
um, that's when I saw that, you know, I, I always think in terms of the high school experience, right. And a ledger, that's all we're talking about here. You know, web through all these fancy words, all these crazy ideas yes. talking about a ledger, right. That's all we're talking about. <laughs> it's, I mean, right. And, and it's sold in blocks and, you know, whatever, but there's, there's layers onto that onion, but it's and, and the high school transcript is a ledger. And as a high school principal, everything is driven by, you know, the kids need to graduate and that transcript has to, you know, 44, five, you know, you have all these things. So that just started a question in my mind, like what would ha what, if they're both ledgers, what does that mean? What would Bitcoin look like in education? And that's how we ended up here. That's awesome. Right. So you were not a diehard believer from the very start, but, um, no, in the, I, I was in decentralization and in open source. Yes. Right. But not, but not believer that they would work. <laughs> I was my, yeah, right. I was aligned to them and, sure. and wanted them to work, but didn't, didn't think it would happen. Well, I was a skeptic too at the beginning. So yeah, um, it had to prove itself. Right. So, yeah. well, to fully understand and grasp the concept of hs.credits so your app and the project and the ledger etc we divided this episode sort of in four segments um so first there'll be questions about the problem that you're solving and then we'll talk about the concept and innovation innovation behind it of course uh we would love to ask a few questions about the technology used um, yeah. and then finally hs.credits as a dao but before jumping into the topic, um, it would be great to clarify a few things. So we're based in uh, Central Eastern Europe and our non-American audience, we do actually have a lot of um, U.S. people, but our non-American audience may not fully understand the concept of high school credits. Um, and given that you said that you've also, um, you were in France, you're probably familiar with that. So what are credits, just briefly? Why do you need them? why we care about them. How does this differ from maybe the private high school system, if at all? So sort of a compound question, but. Yeah. So new, to issue a diploma in the state of New York with the New York state seal on it, to call it a New York state high school diploma, um, students need to show that they've graduated high school and they define that in terms of these credits. Mm -hmm. um, 22 annualized credits. And in New York, it's actually, I, I know the uh, traditional Carnegie was 120 hours. In New York, it's actually 108 hours of studying a topic where your teacher certifies that you met their requirements. And uh, sometimes there's an exam associated with um, certain content areas as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in New York, in particular, we have something called the Regents exam. So yeah, the a unit is just a, it's a measure of uh, learning. So if we were talking just now about the ledger of accounts, this is what's collected in the ledger is credits of, um, you know, and that if you collect enough of them, you get to graduate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and just for my personal understanding, do you, do you have in mind the application of your concept outside of the U.S.? Because right now you're focusing locally, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you had mentioned before that we'll get to talk about the DAO, which we never get to talk about. Um, so it's um, that, that connects to this question, because what I would say is anyone that wants to take this and apply it somewhere outside the U.S., come, we'll give you everything, you know, and we'll help you set up as a DAO and go for it. Um, I, I don't know your systems well enough. I couldn't. Um, I'm not the person that can do that. Um, and my team, we're not the right. But we have what we have, and part of it will be useful to you, and part of it you'll invent things that will come back and benefit us, right? So um, we've, we've had a relationship in the past with somebody in Finland. Um, they're and so we had these conversations. Um, we're going to focus. I'm, I'm really focused on New York City. I don't even know more than that. I think, you know, I have friends in rural um, districts. I have, you know, I, and I grew up in Chicago. I know other school districts, but um, my focus, is, I think, um, just in terms of high leverage, if I can get New York to flip, um, that's going to be a strong start. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I just, I, I question it because I think uh, as also as a parent uh, in the Post or, well, I don't even know if it's still going on, COVID era, um, I think we all had some skeptic, skeptical thoughts about our children here, and we're not even in the U.S., so <laughs> in terms of their... Yeah, job. it was global, though. It wasn't just here in the U.S. And it makes, you know, it really shakes things up. Um, yeah. And I think you said everybody knows it, it's the elephant in the room, but I think something has to be done. So, but let's let's go ahead and dive in. So we'll first talk about so the actual problem and the solution. And as I understand, the root of the problem lies deep. So in the approach to education in general, right? So like I said, um, as a parent in question, I, I, I question where my kids will go to high school and what they will learn and the way they learn. And so according to 
what you write in your book and your articles and and mention in your other podcasts, et cetera. It's basically that the current industrial age education system is just simply outdated, right? It does not provide equal opportunity, more so in the US. It's that students benefit on who the parents know and their connections, et cetera, et cetera. We won't even go into the college scandal stuff. <laughs> Nor does it actually engage students in true learning. I think that's that's the bottom line here. Um, students robotically regurgitate what's on tests. Um, you've actually mentioned that already. And there's a lack of critical thinking. You you talk about this a lot. You know, learning does not come from within. It's a top-down learning approach, et cetera, et cetera. So very last century versus the, what I would say, the AI Web3, I guess, all these big word direction we are headed. So am I, I'm, am I on the right track here? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, so it, you can take the you can take the problems at multiple levels because education has you know has its tendrils everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so you can go all the way from in an attention economy where people don't know how to manage their they don't right that they that their phone can suck their attention for the profit of others. Yes. It, it goes from there right to democracy and people's choices um, and being critical thinking right. So you um, so we're not going to go that deep. Like there's there are levels and and the flip in the in the business world from top down. Um, you know, CEO-driven culture to a more bottom-up where everybody's their own consultant and everybody's their own business, um, right? And the, all the trends that I can, you know, all the data around that. So there's there's something happening um, in the larger society from a digital to introducing this, from an industrial to introducing this digital component um, and the inversion, which I talk about a lot in the book. But if we just focus here on education, we have schools that are stamping out kids' inherent love of learning, yeah. right? They're dampening it because they were preparing them for cubicle and factory work. So they had to, that's what you had to do is turn, leave your humanity at the door yeah. so you can be the robot. Yeah. And we don't need the robots anymore. Those jobs don't exist. And it's not even helpful to prepare and measure whether our kids are going to be good at sitting down and doing what they're told. Um, it doesn't work anymore. That doesn't get them money. So even the rich kids, even the disadvantage you were talking about, and you get that Harvard diploma, but um, it, that if the education is based on standard thinking that kids are going to come out and be woefully unprepared and somebody without any education who dropped out of college is going to you know eat their lunch mm -hmm. so it's even that's what that's why i think we're at a critical tipping point now because even for the wealthy and advantaged they're losing out um it's across the board and that's i think the pandemic brought some of that awareness out that we had seen in education for a long time so the fact that we have schools where we have kids captive for 12 years and what we do with that time is crush their love of learning that they you know how they learn how to walk and talk and you know right. and there's this you know the dopamine opioid cycle that we know about because of addiction science yes. that was actually designed in the brain because it gets you high from learning and has you drive to learn more that's how you learn how to walk and talk and all these things so we dampen that and we stop giving them those opioid hits in class of discovering new things and loving their ideas and learning that they're geniuses right and we and we because we need them to sit down and and it's a self it's a it's a loop because as there's less relevance to the schooling i can see in high school we become warehouses of kids and then it's really compliance and guards and you know right. um, much more like a prison culture almost which is terrifying to say but it's, it's almost like that True. so yeah that's the, that's the it's the deep problem um that's i think that's where we should start thinking about it yeah um just i don't want to go off on a tangent but this uh like i said this topic is very dear to my heart because i actually digressed from my banking years and i went to study organizational social psychology and uh i was bitter about my <laughs> the way the way we worked i mean this is not education but it was very similar i would say uh my question actually is are you familiar with taylorism um, a little, a little bit. I think Taylor contribution in developing the industrial ways of thinking that were very efficient and got our factories yeah. where they are today. Yeah. So a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So Frederick Taylor was desired to obtain the most efficient practices in the workforce. So improving labor productivity in factories, et cetera. So this was a very much last century or even before that approach. Um, and I actually wrote a paper. My dissertation was uh, uh, connecting or comparing investment banking to Taylorism because that's just how we all felt. But Again, when you say this stamping and this th this approach, that's that that's exactly. I mean, you're not enabling the creative process, and you're just it's the push approach, right? Right. But let's let's continue on with. I'm wondering how did so how did you come up with the idea behind an open source blockchain ledger of you talk about gold standard high school credits? What does the gold standard consist of when you speak? Yeah. About yep so the word gold 
um, and and I remember this idea originally came from me thinking of Bitcoin as a ledger, mm-hmm. right? And that's thought of as digital gold. So it's, it's similar, right? There's a soft fiat money that you can print at will for the benefit of politicians. There are these soft fiat credits mm-hmm. that politicians are printing. They're actually the incentives right now. And so it's all about incentives and the incentives of gold versus the incentives of fiat and hard credits versus soft credits. Mm-hmm. So the incentives of soft credits is that each politician should be able to turn some knobs so that graduation rates tick up every year so that the headlines don't say graduation rates tick down this year, right? Beyond the election year, especially. So they need to have that control to do that. And so they just keep issuing more credits um, in, you know, just to, just to have that inching up. And so the incentives really drive us to get to meaningless credits, which is what we have now. A high school diploma from a school you never heard of in an inner city, um, it, you could get that and not know how to read in some cases. In some schools, you get that and it means you're very well educated, right? It's a really school by school basis. And that's the whole point of a, of a transcript and a credit is to have something that's not um, localized to each school. So the gold standard is uh, a few things are involved in that. One, right now, teachers evaluate their own students for the credits and the students give them puppy eyes and, you know, and sad stories and, and whatever else and get grades that they probably shouldn't get. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and because kids are, you know, amazing social engineers. Of course. Um, and adults are not yet. <laughs> right. And I mean, maybe they should get credit for that. Maybe that's the credit that's even more important. So maybe they should get the credit in the end. I don't know. But sure. the the hard credits are evaluated by pseudonymous credit experts on our platform. Three of them evaluate every credit. So that's the first part of hard. It's evaluated externally um, according to common rubric. And there's no preference and um, connection like that. The other piece of it is that it's not based on standardized thinking and standardization. Right. It's based on that. It's not based on the push model where the, you know, the people behind, you know, it's, it's shocking that until this day, I can still say a bunch of white guys in a room. Um, it was one woman they let in this time with the Common Core standards. But until now, there's only been one woman let into the room of designing these standards. It's all white guys and they create the right. It's pretty amazing. And they create these how everybody should think just like me. And then they, you know, get these textbooks that tell you what's important and what's not important and don't even tell you about the stuff that's not important because it's not in the book, uh-huh. right? And it, and it kind of flows down and then kids don't know how do you, you know, what's the internet, right? And, and schools are scared of the internet because there's all this, you know, misinformation on there instead right. of teaching kids the skills to find the right information right. on there because it's this amazing textbook that's better than any textbook they have. So the gold credit is not based on standardization. It's based on project-based learning. And this is not cutting edge stuff. This is the stuff that Rudolf Steiner was teaching 150 years ago. This is what we did before industrial schooling. So we're going back to the ancient ways of teaching and with microphones even more, the oral traditions, right? So um, it's getting back to how the brain works, having experiences that you never forget in high school, having the high school experience and the school experience in general, be a magical time where you're discovering your potential and exploring ideas, you know, um, and getting onto the real world and interacting with people, especially in the 11th and 12th grade. So the gold standard is really just performance-based assessment. Mm-hmm. That's high stakes, high stakes, performance-based assessment. That's really all I'm talking about. And that's exactly, we'll, we'll, we'll actually get to that. Your thesis is also based on content. Obviously, it's based on content creation, and you talk about this inverted credit and assessment model. So, as I understand, student content creation is used like exactly what you just said. So, as an essential engagement part with content created by the students based on their interest, and with that, they can evolve, learn, cooperate, be creative, and in the end, be rewarded in so-called credits. Did I put that right at the end? Is that correct? Yeah. So it's let's think about high stakes testing. And so why we call it inverted is normally you take a course, cram for the test at the end, and that final exam, maybe with the midterm, is your grade. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do is we invert it, and we actually have a high stakes entry exam, kind of. You have to have staked some content. The student has to take their attention and study a topic mm-hmm. and show us that they're serious about studying that topic and stake. Mm-hmm. So they have to come and say, here's what I read. Here are my notes. And they have to have a teacher they're choosing. The teacher's going to sit down and look at their notes with them and say, okay, this, this kid has read this, has some notes ready to do a project because you need some notes to start your project. So we put the high stakes entry in the beginning. So you don't wait till the end to find out you failed, right? Right at the beginning, we require the, the staking of content, mm-hmm. right? So that's the staking phase. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first part of inversion. Now the student is pulling it. So they decide how they they want to be evaluated. 
in our as as we grow over time right now we have a set of rubrics but we would welcome um the college board or new york state to add their rubrics right and their uh, credit experts grading so that you could have this you know somebody could come into class an ap class and the teacher could say listen you can take the ap test at the end or you can upload one podcast episode per month throughout the course and that will get you the credit and that's evaluated not by me by somebody outside the school you upload mm -hmm. right so they would have this choice of either doing a series of 10 you know podcasts or taking one exam at the end so the students are pulling because they're taking the topic they're studying they're investing their you know putting skin in the game first mm -hmm. um and then they choose how to be evaluated now you're going to want your transcript to have the highest quality evaluation right it's going to say you're evaluated by the regents standards or by the ap standards or red ib standards whatever it is mm -hmm. so students are going to it's going to be up to them and maybe in some schools i'll say you're all choosing this one i don't you know in, in the school environment with a teacher um it might not it might not be up to the student to choose um it, but the platform is flexible to do it either way so then they choose the standards that they're going to be by then they go off with their teacher and do multiple revisions of a 10 minute video or podcast segment and then come back and upload the final product which is minted as an nft so let me understand this correctly so the first step is so you talked about the staking um show the students showing that they actually have an interest and there's a topic and then the yeah. students upload their work throughout can could upload their work throughout the year in the form of media or digital files so this can be anything from like you said videos podcasts any digital files and then dedicated teachers and mentors or would have to moderate the students or help them develop these media projects you've also talked about that students are sort of self-learners in this but someone would have to moderate it correct absolutely absolutely teacher's role is critical it's just the teacher instead of being the person in the front of the room that's pouring the information to the kids that has all the correct answers with the answer key the teacher is now more of a coach yes. um, supporting students when they get stuck giving them the um having them do metacognitive work to reflect on their learning and um you know like any coach like any professional coach everybody loves having coaches these days whether it's for exercise or for productivity or you know being an executive Right. Um, so teachers, that's a more appropriate role for this day and age. You can then, because you can see coaches everywhere because it's an appropriate role that we need in our lives, kind of somebody to mentor and guide us. So the student selects who their teacher is going to be. They might be in a math class doing a program on our platform, but if the, and their math teacher might not be the person that helps, it might be their uncle. So they yeah. might list their uncle as their teacher yeah. to the surprise of their teacher, maybe. Yeah. And then the uncle is the one that's going to have to sit down and look at the notes and certify throughout the process. Our platform is not like Coursera or one of these things. We don't have courses, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have, all we have is the transcript and the evaluators to evaluate for the transcript. So the, the rubrics that we're evaluating based on, you upload to us and we provide the high stakes assessment. Um, the work is with the teacher and the student. That's where all the magic happens and we really focus and count on that teacher. And what I mean by that is we provide incentives, very juicy incentives for the teacher to align to um, our rubrics and the way our credit experts think. Because mm -hmm. if teachers are able to do that, they can make 150 bucks an hour on this app as a side hustle, um, grading people's work. So the, um, the teacher, by using the rubric and coaching the student so that at the end, the student is successful, we want everybody to be successful. And it's not based on how many of the students like if you're at a school where only one student in your class gets this credit and another school where they have coaches and studios and right all this extra stuff um that they're producing every kid in the class is getting these credits um those two teachers would have the same chance at becoming a credit expert because it's based on how well they evaluate the student work not how many other students actually get upload successful credits mm -hmm. so i have some concerns um <laughs> Um, so you mentioned, of course, the teachers are an integral part here um, and that they're incentivized. Um, yes. How do you avoid sort of the malicious bad actor phenomena? So, you know, you talk about how greed can be good in from what I've I've listened to you. How does one trust that the media work is truly, first of all, done by the students themselves? That's one of my concerns. Okay, let's start there. Okay, go for it. Yeah. That's great. When, if we talk about high stakes, mm -hmm. the, it's high stakes. And so people are going to try to cheat. Absolutely. And you have to look for that. Now, um, the idea is to set up an ecosystem where there are incentives and that people are incentivized to innovate and to find solutions. So I'm not claiming that I have the solutions. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that we have a platform that has incentives that will um, 
and here's my big um, kind of ace in the hole is, well, if you compare it to the current system, is it better? And it's pretty easy to conclude that no matter, even if we don't get this right, it's better. But I think this is a lot better. And so here's um, some of what that looks like, just that staking phase. You have to sit down with the teacher and show your notes. And so if somebody is going to cheat and get the student ready for this, they're really a tutor getting them ready. You know, if they get them ready to be able to sit down with the teacher and look at a bunch of stuff they read and talk about their notes, um, that, you know, that's some, that's mentorship, you know, that's coaching something. It's not cheating really, because the student has to do that. And then the student has to do revision. So the person would have to like make a bad version to then make a better, like it, the whole project-based approach where you're engaging um, and you're getting coached through the process of producing a final product. Um, it's, it's a much more high touch uh, experience than standardized testing. Now, students with mentors and coaches and studios have an unfair advantage and that we should talk about separately. There's still going to be an unfair advantage for people with resources and, and that's, and we address that, but that's a different issue. I think in terms of cheating or students not using their own work, it's much harder once a month to upload a piece because then you're doing 20 pieces instead of one exam at the end of 12 years of learning. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more, you'd have to invest a lot more to cheat and cheating just becomes inefficient. It's better just get a good tutor, you know, and, and then the issue of getting good tutors and who gets good tutors is a problem because it gives advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you just mentioned uh, my second concern, <laughs> which was that obviously competition is good and ignites motivation, etc. But um, there could be possible traps here for non-equal opportunity again, right? You, you did allude to that just now. <laughs> there will be, I guarantee it. That's the way the world works. Yeah, We're right. just talking it out loud. So, um, yeah, that's just, what, those are a few things that I think of. And then... So, yeah, so let's just talk about that. That's really, really, really important. So, I believe um, beyond project-based learning, I believe that if our credits are not causing kids to interact with kids in high school that are not like them or in 11th and 12th grade, if it's not pushing and incentivizing them to meet kids that they would not otherwise meet and have conversations, we have failed as a high-stakes credit system because I think in this day and age, you have to have conversations with people that don't think like you to develop your thinking. If you're in a room with people that all think the same way and all of your parents are from the same socioeconomic class, like it's it's not serving our democracy, it's not serving our economy, it's not serving our students right. to not be challenged with thinking that comes from the outside. So we want to incentivize um, students to have interactions with students that are not like them. So we use zip code as a proxy. Mm. And what we say is if the content coming out of HS credit is not as diverse as our society at large, we are failing. And then we have a feedback mechanism to keep adjusting until we can get it right. And so what we're doing is giving out this coin, this WeDo coin, um, and it's, an, it's and the only way you can get the coin is by minting a block of approved credits. So you can get these approved gold standard credits and their NFTs in your wallet, then you can have them. But only a select few students will organize across schools and combine their credits and sign off that this this is my work, this is my work, and they form a block. And every three months, we look at all the blocks, and they all have to make a case that they're the most diverse. And we take the top, you know, depending on our the um, the economics of the coin, how much we need to issue, then we issue coins to the top performers in diversity. So students, I've been in the DOE in New York City a long time, and adults are never going to solve the inequities in the system. Our, mm -hmm. our system is more segregated than any other system, I think, in the country, for sure. It's shocking, and it's disgusting, and it doesn't serve our kids. Mm -hmm. But if we have kids, incentivize kids... Right. To share resources and support each other. Then they meet each other. They have to have connections with each other and they get incentivized, right? They get money for, um, or they get governance control of the platform is what they really get to share and make sure. So the way it works is if there's a zip code that's not earning these credits and your zip code is, the more kids you can get at that zip code, the more you can get the crypto award. So if you want five kids in your school to get the crypto award, you need five kids in that other zip code to get the crypto award too. Mm -hmm. If there's 20 kids in that school, then you can get 20, right? You, you can't have more students at one school so if you to form one of these blocks you have to have all the zip codes represented and they have to have earned these high quality high stakes credits so very bottom up good so we talked about the students what about getting teachers fit to the challenge I mean, getting teachers mm -hmm. are able to detour from their traditional indoctrination so some teachers some teachers especially teachers later in their career that you know invest their whole career in learning this industrial model um they will focus on helping kids get ready for the staking part for learning the content that's what they do well they've been doing that well for a long time and kids will need some support in getting ready to stake content and so that's like ninth and tenth grade work before the 11th and 12th grade where these credits kick in um most teachers that i show this to 
there are teachers that, first of all, there are teachers that have left the department. When I show this, they say, if this is what education looks like, I would come back or I would start getting involved in education again. So the true educators, before they've been, you know, beaten down through a whole career of telling them to do something that they know is not how kids learn best and what's in the best interest of their kids, most teachers see this and, and, and prefer project-based learning. And, and what if I, you know, what if we came out and had enough success that we could save the unions? You know, you could actually in your contract, demand that no teacher ever has to teach the test again. And if anybody asks them to, they say, no, there's this other option and I don't have to teach the test, right? Mm -hmm. I think teachers would welcome that. Now, is it different practice to what they're doing? In some cases, some schools are already using project-based learning, private schools, right? And this learning exists and it's not new technology. So it's not like that we're asking them to learn something that's radical. It's really what they learned in university and how learning works best. Mm -hmm. And they're actually getting to do that. And then they get to have these amazing experience coaching these kids to produce this content. After having done this for 20 years, you watch these videos that these kids make, you cry. I mean, the kids are brilliant. So as a teacher, the, you have a few cycles of, you know, having somebody else show you how to go through the process, but it's research, it's writing, it's practice, right? It's like going to the gym and practicing mental muscles. Okay, try it again. Okay, try it again. That's how we learn. We don't learn by having a test at the end, right? Mm -hmm. So the teachers, I think there will be some resistant teachers. There will be some teachers that this will be a bridge too far. And I think we have to take care of them if they've had a whole career in education and honor their service. Um, and so I think as a principal, you have to use your resources intelligently. And um, and it takes some reorganization. The biggest hurdle is for this to really work. Um, students would have to reorganize so that ninth and 10th grade gets you ready for the staking and 11th and 12th grade sure. is where you produce the content. And that would be a brilliant, um, and we could talk about why I think the incentives have us so that we might get there one day. Mm -hmm. But from here to there is a, a bigger gap, I think, than teachers learning how to do project-based learning. They all know this and they want to do this. Right, right. Before I, I ask you about the the next steps, so we talked about the students, we talked about the dedicated teachers and the mentors, and now we're getting to the review committee, the objective review committee. I actually, before, I'm just thinking, you know, if this was like 30 years ago when I was in high school, how would I prepare a, a podcast series on calculus? <laughs> Great question. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I love that you ask these questions because, you know, right, we, these I are the things. If, if there's one that you can bring me that we haven't thought of, I need to know about it. And if we've thought about it, people need to know that we've thought about it. So great. Do you know Khan Academy? Uh, no, no. You've heard of Khan Academy? Khan Academy is very popular here. Okay. Um, and it started this movement. It's this guy, Khan, um, Indian-American guy that was tutoring um, his nephew and made these videos and they're helpful. And then it became this huge platform that's massively popular and powerful and has, you know, all the support of Silicon Valley. Um, so it's these videos that he, he explains and he started with math. Um, math and science. And so what teachers do now is they, what they call inverting the classroom is where they have the students look at the lecture at home with these videos so they can pause it and rewind and watch it as many times they want. And then when they come to class, they try to do problems so the teacher doesn't have to lecture, right? And in class, they can be working on problems. It's nice. But so if you know anybody that knows Khan Academy, it's these videos that explain, it has him doing the math while he explains it basically. And so here we would, I could imagine some math classes being um, something like a Khan Academy, but by students and for students. So students will follow other students to learn contact, you know, older students to learn contact. But that's at the very far edges of theoretical math. Most math can be integrated with science and project-based learning in a very seamless and beautiful way. You can use trigonometry to have a problem where you put kids in a gym and each one of them has using their cell phones, they're talking you know, and talking to each other. And there's one, you know, traffic controller who's in another room getting data and they have to plot court, whatever, you know, you can have them apply trigonometry as an air traffic controller would to find the direction of a plane, right? As a, um, and, and learn that skill and practice until they can do it live um, for uh, video. Um, so there are ways to do math and science that I think can lead themselves um, to performance-based evaluation. If you can do it, you don't have to, you know, you can make it, you can do a play or organize an event and those would count and you just document it. And the documenting, what it does is the reason we include that is it brings a metacognitive level that the student has to collect the footage and look at the footage and decide what was important, what wasn't important and reflect on their learning. And so it forces all these metacognitive habits that if you just do a play or host an event without the documenting part, you wouldn't get. Mm, okay. Well, Khan Academy, I definitely wrote that down. I've been outside of the U.S. for a while, so... Yeah, it's huge. He's huge. He's like a superstar. Okay, okay. Okay, so you, you definitely answered my question. So where you come in also is with this objective review committee. Yeah. Which evaluates the work and ensures alignment to the gold standard credit. 
that's our platform. This is, this is your platform, correct? Yeah. And then, of course, after that, ideally, gold standard credit card is on and becomes a piece of the student application puzzle, replacing standardized tests. Uh, and college essays, theoretically, and a lot of other things. College essays. So when you say standardized tests, you're talking about SATs, APs, um, anything. Regions, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, my, again, my, my concern is that this could become a business in itself to bypass the system. So paying someone to create the NFT media projects and ensuring college acceptance down the line. But, right, but you have to get the teacher in on it. Yeah. Right. Right. You have to get the teacher in on the scam, which right now, so already it's better than the current system because right now the scam says you don't get the teacher in on it. Right. Mm. You'd have to get the teacher in on it. And then that blocks the teacher from being able to, um, you know, if the teacher works with an adult to produce a credit and bypasses the kid, right? That's that's what that's what we we're talking about. And they would have a lot of levels. You have to do the notes and you have to do versions that right. It's um, to to get to that point is much harder. But it's true. It could be fair enough. So you're creating a Web three intermediate media platform, so powered by dedicated blockchain. Can you explain the model behind it? You before you talked yeah. about monetization a bit. So with the we we do currency. Yeah. Take us through it. Yeah. So the, the each credit is a 10-minute audio or video piece and is minted as an NFT. So the transfer, high school transcript becomes basically a wallet of NFTs, but it looks the same as a high school transcript. But now there are QR codes. So if you're a university, you can scan a QR code and watch the work behind the credit to actually see the quality of work behind the credit. And you can see the rating system that was used, um, the, you know, the, the rubrics that were used to evaluate it. Um, to earn that credit so you're not just getting like a student did a video you actually only see the ones that and it's strength based we don't show where if a student doesn't get one it just doesn't show up they don't get the nft it's not that you have an nft that says zero on it you know okay. um, it's just where you get the nfts um, you get you get one of these and you can get up to 20 that's the most you can get you can't get more than 20 of these credits in your transcript um, and, and there are other pieces that, you know, the universities can now use our data to proactively find who they want in their freshman class and offer them instead of only taking the people that spend the money on their application. So there's a bunch of the data. We're really a data company. And our monetization is eventually going to be once we have um, enough people doing this, people are going to study where is project based learning taking root? Where is it working? And I think it's an early indi uh, economic indicator of success in the digital age. So I think eventually we would have school districts and people um, paying annual subscription fees to analyze our metadata um, and, and see maps of where credits were, schools, which their schools to each other, things like that. Sorry, I got lost from where we started this. You were asking about. Sure. Just so me, just more about the model. No problem. Just more. Right. All right, so the different pieces of the model, right? I'm putting in the different pieces. So there's a, so there's the NFTs mm -hmm. um, that students get there. Those are gold standard credits, um, and anybody can watch if you, when you print it out. Anybody can watch one of them. So it's kind of like the proof of work, if you will, behind it. You can watch the video. Um, but then student, you know, institutions can also mine the data and use the API to access it from to offer this other way to interact with high school transfers, which is a whole different discussion. And then the coin. So we have a nonprofit organization that is bootstrapping, um, and then we over time we'll shift to having more and more of these annual um, subscriptions to use the metadata as we grow if we gain scale and then we have this coin that serves two functions before the platforms launch it's the incentive structure um, for us to for the people that um, help get this platform we don't have venture capital behind us we have um, mm -hmm. my money as a high school principal and a team of people dedicating their time and so we before we reach one percent adoption which is eighty thousand average active monthly users um, the coin is non-existent fictitious um, it's in a secure database that we have who has how many pre-mine that's just the pre-mine once it goes live it hands over 100 percent to the students and then the students, we can't earn those coins anymore once we're live, once the coin goes live and can be traded and is an actual coin. Mm -hmm. um, and it's only a governance token for students to control that um, those blocks. So if right now we have, for example, zip code as a proxy for race, socioeconomic class or race. If zip code doesn't work, the students can vote to change the how you measure diversity. Um, that's that's that self, the feedback mechanism to adjust it until our content is actually diverse. Um, so that coin is just the diversity, it's just the anti-bias incentive. That's the only point of the cryptocurrency. And like I said, until we have 80,000 active average monthly users, um, that coin is um, just a pre-mine that we have for incentives. Um, those are the three funding sources, the, the subscriptions, the coin that's for the student incentives, and for people that pre-built the platform, and then the nonprofit that that uh, owns the IP and and uh, and raises money to where we don't have enough subscriptions. Are you creating your own blockchain behind this, or are you? For no, 
No. So you're, are you? No. Well, I'm training engineers are so hard to find right now. If I wanted to, I mean, I'd have to do it myself. Right. 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 So there's just no chance. And I'm not paying people. This is all volunteers. We have 22 people on a team and they're all volunteer. You know, they're, right. um, we have some interns actually get a stipend now for their internships, graduate level interns. So if we talk about that, we can talk more about how that works, but the, so are you, is it, is it, do you have uh, like actual developers behind this now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the app is a progressive web app um, that's linked now. We're using our weave um, to store the NFTs. So that's the perm web solutions that we pay a fee once to upload and that it's permanently there. And the students can for a transcript, you need to have longevity 20 years from now, the student needs to be able to still right. issue their transcript to somebody if they want and has to have all the videos and things have to work. So we're using our weave for that piece. And then we're closely, so the coin is, uh, we're, we're creating the white paper, but it's not, we're not launching until we have 80,000 active users. So right now we're just working focused heads down and the longer it takes us to get to 80,000 active users, the less benefit each one of us will get from the governance token that we're getting issued in advance because, you know, the longer it takes, the more of them you issue and then you have too much. So we have to get this thing up and running and see if it's going to work and see if we start getting scale. And if we're not, if we don't, then we have to stop it, right? So we have, the incentives are for us to get up and running as quickly as possible. Now, once we get once we start having any active users, you know, the platform launches. And if we start getting tens of thousands of average monthly users, then we'll have to worry about the exact technology. But we have a team that's studying it, that's, that's writing. And I think, you know, it's going to be layer two. Polygon, if we did it right now, would probably be where we launched in terms of the coin. Okay. Um, I would rather it be um, Taproot. You know, I'm watching Taproot very closely. I'm a Bitcoin sure. guy. Sure. Um, so the technology, we're early for the technology of the coin, but it's a governance token. It's not anything that doesn't exist. And when we're ready to pull the trigger, we'll just use the one that um, seems to have the most longevity, right? I, mean, I don't really care about technology. I care about which one's going to be around 50 years from now. Of course. Um, right. So that's what we're looking at. Um, yeah. And so we have some time to, to really figure out how it works. But the details of how it works, I think we have a pretty good um idea of how these blocks are issued and then how the um, the coin and then we'll have some economists that are going to advise based on how long it takes us to get off the ground whether we're issuing too much pre-token and then we'll diminish the pre-token as we get closer to adoption less risk for people so the amount that people are getting now as part of the team is going to be more than people get a year from now um yeah but that's those are the basic strands of the technology Okay, great. So yeah, if you touch upon the tokenomics, it's uh, sounds like it's a little early, but in terms of the um, what's going on behind the consensus behind, are, are you are you do you have in mind in terms of proof of work, proof of stake, proof of content, maybe in terms? Well, we of don't really need so technology evolves, and there's something that's more appropriate, and there's a way that I can't think of now. But based yeah. on the technology that I see now, and I assume it's going to be something that's already exists now, but it's going to be something with longevity, because <laughs> otherwise, yeah. you know, exactly. if it's only born in the next few years, right. either we're very slow to get up to speed, and it's 10, 20 years from now, or, um, you know, something new has come out, and then it's new. So um, it just needs to be a governance token sure. Um, sure. for the students running the platform with ensuring that it causes this diversity incentive. Um, it's a very focused anti-bias use of a token. And then the R weave has to keep working on the, you know, on the content storage side for the NFTs. Right. Um, but our NFTs are simpler technology than most NFTs because they're non-transferable, right? You can't give your friend a high school credit to help them graduate. Mm -hmm. So it's more like concert tickets or badges. Um, so the technology is pretty simple. There's much more advanced NFT um, tech that's yeah. out there. So I, I think it, we're pretty safe and we're just looking for when does somebody emerge that's a stable player that's not going to move around kind of like we see Bitcoin. And I don't see anything else other than Bitcoin. Maybe Ethereum will show up that way one day, but I don't see it yet. It's still changing. You know? <laughs> um, so, that's a whole different podcast in itself. <laughs> right, right. So Taproot, a Taproot gives me hope. And I know that I can't imagine what people will build on there, but if we can easily launch a coin um that yeah i don't know yeah, it's and then if the dow infrastructure moves away from ethereum toward taproot i would be excited by by such developments and i bet we would use that technology will students have their own wallets so for the nft storage side they use the app to access they we manage the we have one central wallet for the app um and since we're paying the fee, we don't want them to have to pay the fee to upload their work that comes from the nonprofit. So the nonprofit owns but they so then they use the app to access or those QR codes on a printed version of the transcript to access mm -hmm. the credits and they don't have to worry about any of the technology behind there. Okay. For the coin, if they if they organize to create a block to um, for this diversity incentive, um, and then they sit on the board after they've earned it to um, change these incentives, those tokens um, they would have to learn how to manage their own wallet. Yeah. Okay. 
So wh- where are you in the process now? Do you have, uh, you haven't launched the app yet. So do, do you have an estimation on when this is? Absolutely. Gonna- yeah, yeah. We will have um, as early as August, a few trials and by September, uh, we'll be ready to go to uh, Will we have students, you know, pounding down our doors to upload credits. So the next piece is to, you know, start uh, educating and, you know, do the marketing piece um, and raising some money for real marketing. So, but by this fall, we will have a, um, the transcript out there and available to use with, um, you know, the first rubrics. Um, and we really want to see if, you know, if we get the first 20 students, which is our focus, then if they spread it and it starts spreading, we've got something. If they don't, we have to keep learning. And if they don't start doing it, we have to give up, you know, we have to say, okay, we missed something. Um, okay. Right. So we're, we're really wanting to just get it out there and to see if we get that, you know, whatever the user platform fit the, you know, um, if, and I think that youth, you know, we all think the youth leaders that want to, especially those that came from the opt-out movement, right now about 20 some odd percent of families in middle school opt out of taking the standardized tests. They don't, you don't have to, you can say that your kid doesn't have to take the test, which you do with our daughter. Um, so all of those kids get to high school because it doesn't, in middle school, it doesn't really matter. It's just for the government to collect data about who's, you know, doing well in the standardized tests. But in high school, without the standardized tests, you can't graduate. Mm-hmm. Right. So in high school, there's never been an opt out option. So all these kids go from middle school, where they're opting out and then they get to high school and they're like, oh, sorry, honey, you can't opt out anymore. And they're like, oh, I should have practiced probably. <laughs> you know, like, if they have, you know, I don't have something they get tutoring and they try to catch up and it's a mess. So all those kids, I think, are prime. Um, if we can say, hey, there's actually something to opt into here that you can help lead and cause and advocate for. Um, and if you do it before we're at 1% adoption, you actually get some of these tokens and, um, you know, and uh, so then you could have a bigger say in the platform as it grows. So for youth, it'll be a very small selective group of early adopters. Mm-hmm. And the way we're doing it is, it's not, I don't think we're going to, we, we don't want to do top down, right? I, we, we have connections and we could start, but it's not, that wouldn't work if you force kids to do this. No. So what we're looking for is um, we know as, as a principal, we all have these kids that are so smart that they're done early in all their classes. When the classes are these worksheet based classes, mm-hmm. they're done early and then they cause trouble or they are bored or they whatever it is right so those kids they get one of these projects per month they work on it across class they said principal or the guidance counselor who's going to be their coach on it says hey um you know whenever you finish your work in the other classes you can grab a laptop and work on your podcast and they write and they support them and when they get stuck they can run down to the person's office or if it's with a teacher right so right now we're focusing on kids that have want to go above and beyond kind of stand out from the crowd mm-hmm. and we're just starting with them to see how it works and learn and and, and get their genius onto the platform so that it's appropriate and that we have all of their learning and then from there it should start spreading i think um if we start having numbers Right then, everything starts snowballing because more and more people are interested in getting the credits in colleges. But even now, if it's only if we have a hundred kids this year that do it, we can advocate like hell for them to get into school of their choice and pull our connect. You know, like if you get a credit on this platform, we can make sure that it gives you an advantage in the early phases. Right, Um, Mm -hmm. not just that you then go to the school on your and put this link on your application and they open link and like, oh my god, this kid is like leading a revolution in education. right? Right. So. We're starting with early adopters. It's so we're just looking for the very few early adopters, and then we want to see if it spreads and if they lead. They, they have to lead this. Like we can't, we can't pull this. They have to pull this. So if they're not going and saying to their teacher, "Hey, I want to do one of these credits," and then eventually schools will realize they can double dip. They can see like, wait, if one of these credits shows that you're heads and tails, you know, heads and shoulders above the crowd. What if all of our kids got this? Our whole school would be above the crowd. So what if every course was designed to end up with earning one of these 11th and 12th grade credits? Then all of our kids get these gold standard credits. Right. And so some school would realize that will be smart enough to be like, wow, let's let's actually organize around having every kid earn these, not just the, you know, the ones that were bored before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slowly people start designing classes to more intentionally do this. So we are we think of ourselves kind of as independent study right now with a teacher coach yeah. um, as a way to start infiltrating the system and, and building data and learning how to how you know to make this app you know work better. And then we'll see where it goes. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the initial sample size of 20, but then you have um like you just said, I mean, I would just summarize it in the the magic of network effects, right? <laughs> That's exactly. We're not going to win this by advertising the country and doing the top-down thing. We're going to win it by a core group that really fights for it. Absolutely. And that's that's how revolution is done. <laughs> <laughs> what let's just i'm curious we 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 said we're going to talk about the DAOs. yes Um, so you're organized as a DAO. how so right how so um so we so we actually have a nonprofit um (laughs) that 
allows us to receive nonprofit donations and, and we function within their auspices. But we have a bank account that we control and mostly we have a constitution, right? The way we're structured, what we, we have, you know, there's something called sociocracy. Have you heard of that? Yes. There's a version of it that we've all been trained in called holacracy, right? So we use their governance process to update our governing documents um, and we're very roles-based, right? So we're organized um, and, and we're all remote. Um, and so we're the way we make decisions and the way things happen, there's no leader. There are teams. And so you might the team might need somebody to lead, you know, be a project manager to organize everybody, but that's their choosing. Um, and we have an infrastructure to make decisions and kind of do tactical work and do governance work. Um, and then we're incentivized by token, not by money. You know, we're not getting paid. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is some money that has to go into this. And that's all right now coming from one foundation and myself. And um, and so what else? So, so the DAO also, we want this to be a youth-driven thing. So we were looking, we were having trouble finding developers, frankly. Um, we had a strong team. Um, some of the people on our team are some of my heroes from the opt-out movement, this you know, movement in New York that um, to opt-out of standardized tests has been going on for you know 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some leaders are on our team. And so we had this powerhouse team um, in terms of the education side and, and in terms of some of the technology side, we had some good developers, um, but we real, but we um, decided to organize the DAO around college internships. Mm-hmm. So that college interns can come on board because they were recently in high school, right? And so they now are a little older and can help build this and they have some of the skills, especially graduate level students um, in engineering. So we have our first cohort of 11 interns just started this week, June. Um, they, we did a month orientation with them and they just started. And so they're um, moving things so much faster than we were moving before because they have the whole summer to just dive in and code and build. Mm. Um, and so we, we're trying to build this as close to the youth grassroots as possible and keep as much as we can. So if, if ideally this DAO would then take over and be among college interns that keep developing and maintaining it as their college internships with then the students, right? So if we'd like this to be youth led as much as possible. Mm. Um, yeah. And so that's, you know, Which is the way education departments, they, they can design rubrics and try them and use them on our platform. Like we would love to push as much of this down to the youth as possible. So the DAO is organized right now around the work of uh, college interns. Wow. Wow. How many, I mean, are you, how many do you have? Like, do you, is there like an actual set community? You mentioned that you do communicate with each other. Um, or do you have in, a- in terms of, yeah, yeah. So we have 22 people on team, 11 college interns right now. Okay. 22. Um, mm-hmm. And so we use Slack and Notion. Um, okay. okay. To, to organize. Um, okay. Yeah. And it's, I, I'm struggling with Slack. I'm struggling with remote work. I'm used to being a principal in a building where I can walk over, I can see people's faces, I can walk around, you know, so it's, I'm learning how to work with the remote part, not the DAO decentralized part, maybe, but the remote part. And then we have a team of, yeah, we have a team of lawyers that are helping us figure out all the regulatory stuff of being a nonprofit DAO. Um, there's a few of us out there. Um, and so it's nice to connect with other nonprofit DAOs. And it's a lot of this, like you said, is bleeding edge um, in terms of implementation and laws and some of the technology, but also kind of ancient in terms of the education and um, and b- values of these you know, like guilds that do work together. Yes, yes, the guilds, yes. Yeah. Um, well, you definitely answered my question there. I mean, th- this is very exciting. Um, and you're, I like the fact, of course, that this is all student-driven, which is what it's all about. So um, bottom up. Yeah. Um, they have the answers. We don't. And if they're not going to do it, you know, we can't do it to them. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I mean, there's the, the tech is there. Um, I think just the roots have to be placed properly. So, wow. Well, Nadav, we've, we've talked, we've talked for almost an hour. Um, maybe we'll, we can wrap this up. Um, I have a few more questions in terms of your perspective on the general digital economy. Mm. Um, we're talking about web two, web three, how to bridge um, between Web 2 Web 3, um, you actually wrote, and I quote, Web 1 brought publishing, so download. Web 2 brought sharing, so download and upload. Web 3 brings ownership, so download, upload keys. Web 3 education will allow students to take ownership of learning. But the Web 2 world does not allow content ownership yet. How do you see bridging this gap where, we are, where you are now? 
given that we're in Web3 sort of Yeah, I, we don't need the technology so much in my space. We're pretty low-tech in education. So it's the student ownership of learning is ancient, is that ancient style of learning, project-based learning, right? And here where students have to pull and invest, put sweat equity and put the stake, right? They have to stake something to get the credit. So Ed, having the stakes come from them, mm-hmm. um, that's a lot of the pull. And also the ownership, the, the, you know, these students have to go to their school. I have to get a transcript once. And, you know, you have to go back to your old high school and go to that same office mm-hmm. right here. There's no, it's, it's a crazy old system. And it's a, it's a there I am in a drawer you know they have my file and you know now the student will be their own kind of like you are your own bank when you hold bitcoin right. here the student will issue their own transcript right they have control of it if their keys or even if our platform goes poof they, you know and if everything is still there and they can still issue those that transcript with us so they they have control of it they own it it's in their hands it's their you know nfts that they can show providence from them forever um and each one represents an experience that every time they open that nft and see that video listen to that podcast like oh my god i remember that right and they never forget that learning so right um it's yeah yeah, I think I started going on a tangent. I think the technology-wise, it's just a, it's a it's a conceptual mind shift that has to happen for us. Technology is in our heads of us allowing the kids to lead and yes. us to mentor them in their leadership. And the importance of you know you talk a lot about attention as the main currency, right? Yeah. So or the asset of the digital economy. I mean, I personally think this sort of meta crisis that that's happening can be real. And if our students or students or just young kids do not learn to distinguish signal from the noise, that could be a problem. Um, it is a problem. And yeah, it, true, it is a problem. How, what are your thoughts there? So you know that you, you study organizational psychology. So there's that 1970 study, David Glass, Jerome Singer, where they put two groups of people in a rooms where they worked on puzzles and proofreading, right? And there were loud noises. And one of them had a button that if they hit the button, the noises would stop. Yes. And the other group didn't have the button. And the, you know, the second group did five times as many puzzles and had many the group with the button. And they never pushed the button, right? They let the noise go, keep going. But they knew they had agency, right? So And, and then we talked about how the brain works and how you know, the dopamine opioid cycle, how babies learn so that it's how the brain works it's how human beings are designed so there's this opportunity if we can ignite the school system where we have these 12 years with kids just starting with 11th to 12th grade so in two years we'll start seeing results if we can ignite them to not dampen students level learning but turn up students level learning and their curiosity and their learning how to practice skills until they um, really become masterful at them um, they're going to be ready for the jobs where 94 percent of jobs are you know between 2005 and 2015 94 percent of new jobs in the u.s were contract right? we're going to be preparing them mm-hmm. for that um, real world. So it's there's an opportunity if we ignite human potential that then people will learn how to distinguish signal, they'll learn critical thinking, they'll learn how to break things down to the basic facts and see the fluff. Like these are men- these are skills that academics know and it's all known stuff. There's no mystery here. It's just a matter of giving our kids access to it and letting them practice skills that give them agency and creativity and voice rather than the industrial model that tells them to you know stuff all that in a box. So I think there's a huge opportunity now, and it's also the opportunity that we've touched on between centralized Facebooks and you know yes. and decentralized Linux, right? Which way is it going to go? I don't know, but the corporate side is a dictatorship, right? CEOs are dictators, Absolutely. and it's okay. It works, and it works in small groups. I mean, little CEOs and little groups, that's how Amazon is built, works really well. So I'm not saying we don't need leadership. I just think that that hugely centralized leadership is fragile. We're learning now with COVID, and the anti-fragile is a decentralized. So I have hope that if we get the right incentives in place and fire up kids' curiosity and their love of learning, I think that we have a chance to have young people that learn how to make choices as they enter the world, whether as voters or as consumers, um, that they start thinking critically and they deal with ambiguity and complexity, not just the complicatedness of tests. So I think if we can adjust education, we have a chance with our economy and we have a chance to go decentralized, but decentralization doesn't work without the education piece. It just can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, wow, this has been um, this has been amazing, Nadav. Thank you so much. I mean, is there anything to add from your side that we haven't covered or that you want to that I haven't asked, perhaps? No, but I love having conversations. Thank you for including the DAO. Like, because I'm in that thick of struggling with mm-hmm. being part of a DAO, it's really interesting for me to brainstorm and, and share ideas and think about that piece of it. So I want to invite people that want to think about that with me or struggle or hear about that's That's where we are right now is learning how to organize a group of people to be a high-performance team when we don't aren't in a building together and we're not receiving paychecks. Um, so that's my passion, and that's what I want to talk about. So I just want to say, not you, but this conversation can be the beginning of a conversation with others, and I would love to talk about and learn how to do that because I have no idea what I'm doing. Amazing. So what are the best ways to get in touch for 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 ideas, co- collaborations, etc.? I mean, email me direct. Not, uh, I would say that the first is email. Unfortunately, I'm old school. So Z, you know, letter Z at hs.credit. Real easy. One letter Z at hs.credit. I think your audience might say Z at hs.credit. Uh. Um, so 
you know, email, email me directly. I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, not very active on those platforms. And then if you know engineers that want to mentor, we, we need people to, it's about two hours a week that um, our college interns, when they get stuck, content experts that they can go to. Um, and say, hey, I'm in this code and I have trouble with this. So like blockchain interns, anybody that's willing to give a couple hours a week to mentor a young person in technical fields, especially in the in, in coding, um, we would love to have more mentors for our college interns because our college internship program becomes even more desirable. Um, although I've got to say we had an overwhelming response to the posting this year. We got 150 applicants and you know, um, it was it was unbelievable. So we're not lacking um, in, in interest because I think people are interested in Web3, but we would love more participation from the industry. Um, and soon our nonprofit will be fully up and we would like to be the darling nonprofit of the Web3 community. I mean, what better place to get our funding for the nonprofit than people that understand the value of educating our young people to learn how to think in these decentralized ways. So, um, you know, support us if you're in the U.S. and you want a tax deduction. I, I welcome that. Definitely. Definitely. Well, um, we'll definitely include all the information in the show notes. So so with that in mind, um, amazing, Nadav, thank you so much. Um, you, thank you so much, Gina. You've basically um, stated your, your concluding final thoughts with that. I can't even top that although i would like to add mine so is there anything else that you'd like to you'd like to add as, as a final thought oh i can always talk more nina but um <laughs> no just i mean you can hear my passion and i'm and I, I think that this is happening no matter what i hope that we get to be the ones to do it i think if we don't do it somebody else is going to do it um, it's happening and so i look forward to our high school being a time that's a magical experience of learning that we you know experiences that learning uh, they never forget that the social and the learning all comes together we we educate human beings not human brains yeah. um and this is a, an exciting time i think well i really hope this initiative takes off with a rip not only with a ripple effect but in the network effect as we often mentioned in in, in crypto land but in and also oh. changing, <laughs> in changing the way educators tackle the way to educate um i hope I sincerely hope more pioneers such as yourself commit to the inverse credit and assessment model and everything that we've talked about. Um, like I said, I mean, the tech is here to help us. We just need to set it up right, plant healthy seeds and for the seeds to be ready to thrive. Um, and also, I would just add a last thought. Education should not be politicized, right? It should be decentralized. Yeah. So on that note, Nadav, thank you so much. Um, and I hope we can have you back after your app launch and after your, your first sort of practical steps and milestones that will take off. Thank you so much for your support and this opportunity. Thanks, Nadav. Thanks again to our guest, as well as thank you everyone for listening. Thank you also to the Badia Music team for providing their music. You can check out their latest album on badiamusic.com. You can find all supporting information on our website, blockchainrecorded.com, and listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Stay healthy and tuned for our next episode.